Well, this is my last sermon in John. As we started John back in January 2022, this is my last one, uh, number 55. But I want you to know that uh, the, uh, the old pastor, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, I've benefited greatly from his commentaries uh, over the course of uh, preparing these sermons. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce preached through John. It took him eight years. He preached 270 sermons <laughs> in John. Uh, so I've been mercifully short, uh, even though it's taken almost two years. <laughs> but uh, this is this is a wonderful text, and I know that we're we're in the midst of Advent season, and I've got some Advent nuggets for you still, uh, even though we're we're finishing up John's Gospel this morning. And we're going to start with this: the the reality that as followers of Christ, we are no strangers to suffering. Luke tells us. In the book of Acts, about Stephen, the first Christian martyr who was stoned to death. In the mid-second century, Polycarp, that bishop of Smyrna, was burned alive in his elderly years by Roman authorities for not renouncing his faith. And then in the mid-20th century, the Romanian pastor, Richard Wormbrand, spent a total of 14 years in prison experienced torture and, and harsh treatment by the communist regime for his Christian faith. And a more modern example, many of us have that image just seared in our minds of those 21 Coptic Christians in 2015 who were beheaded by ISIS for following Christ and not renouncing their faith. Now, we don't typically see this level of persecution and suffering uh, in our day-to-day lives here in the West for our Christian faith, but it doesn't mean that we're not, uh, or that we are immune to suffering in general. For whatever reason, God may allow sickness to strike you, like our brother Barry, who just passed away. Maybe it's cancer or some other uh, disability that strikes you. One thing is clear, that in this fallen world, we will all experience some level of suffering in this life as we follow Jesus. So it's worth asking, if we're going to suffer, how do we do it well? How do we suffer well in, in a way that honors Jesus? Interestingly, John ends his gospel on this note, but the conclusion is not that uh, the good news of the gospel is a downer by any stretch. But John ends his gospel by talking about suffering. And so we should do well to pay attention. Let's turn there now to John's gospel uh, and learn how we can suffer well. So grab your Bibles, turn with me to John 21, verses 18 to 25. If you need to use a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1078. And once you're there, I invite you to stand with me if you're able out of reverence and respect for the word of God and as a sign that we stand under the authority of God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is God's word. Father, we can that your word is good this morning. We ask that you send your spirit to open our eyes and that your word would uh, be a light to our paths as we follow Jesus in this dark world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So last week we saw Peter was restored and recommissioned by Jesus to care for the flock of God in ministry. But Jesus isn't done with Peter yet. He doesn't just uh, give him a task. Jesus also gives Peter a cross. Notice the phrase in verse 18, you will stretch out your hands. Anyone in the first century would have picked up on this. They they would have known what this means. It's, It's a way to describe someone being crucified. You will stretch out your hands. That's the picture right there. Jesus is telling Peter in no uncertain terms that he's going to suffer greatly for him. And that his suffering will climax in martyrdom on a cross. And just in case we miss this, John explains this for us in verse 19 when when John writes that this is the kind of death that would glorify God. This too is martyrdom language. Every time that Jesus talks about glorifying God in the, in the Gospel of John, he's talking about glorifying God in his death. In his death. Now we might find it strange that uh, these would be some of the last words of Jesus to Peter, especially uh, after just having restored him. But Jesus, I, I think, doesn't want Peter to be surprised of the kind of life that he's going to experience as he serves Jesus in ministry. He doesn't want to be surprised. He want he doesn't want him to be surprised by the kind of suffering that is going to come from serving him. Jesus wants Peter to know that serving him will not lead to his best life now. And we should not be naive about this either as the church today because there's a very popular teaching out there that will tell you that if you just have enough faith, you should expect a long life of health and prosperity. And if not, then there's something wrong with your faith. And you just need to try a little harder. Church, hear me clearly on this. This is a lie. This is a lie that has hurt many people 
that has led to unnecessary guilt and that has made a lot of false teachers really wealthy. And God hates it. The New Testament is clear on this. All Christians should expect some level of suffering in their lives. In fact, if we don't suffer, we should wonder why aren't we suffering? Because it's so clear in the New Testament. Peter learned this lesson and he taught it in his writing. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Like I said before, I think we should be more surprised when we're not suffering. Why aren't I suffering, Jesus? Don't be surprised. We should expect to suffer. The Apostle Paul writes this to the Philippian church. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, we like that part, that we should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Do you see that? It's been granted to you to suffer. We like the first part. You put that on a Christian t-shirt all day. But what about the second part? It's been granted to you to suffer? I don't know how that'll sell on a mug in a Christian bookstore, or who knows. And, and then Jesus, Jesus himself makes it very clear that following him would involve suffering. In Luke 9, verse 23 and 25, we, we see this well-known passage. If any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now, by this point, you might be thinking that a sermon on suffering is not fitting for Advent season where we're anticipating the the coming of our Savior. But consider the fact that Christmas is a celebration of the fact that Jesus left the Father's side in heaven to come into our world filled with sin and suffering. How much comfort did he give up in taking on human flesh? How much did he suffer just by living on this earth and walking this earth for 30 years, knowing what it is like Spending eternity in heaven at the Father's right side. And knowing that coming and walking this earth would lead to a cross for him. So we shouldn't be surprised now when he prepares Peter for his own suffering with these words. And we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus uh, calls us to take up our own cross. To lay down our own comfort. The question uh, I want to guide this time uh, that we have as we conclude John's gospel is this. How, how do we suffer well? If suffering is expected in this life, and especially as we follow and serve Jesus, how do we suffer in a way that honors Christ? So there's three ways in the text I'm going to show you. I'm not going to give them to you ahead of time, but they're coming. Uh, so the first one is this. How do we suffer well? The very first thing Jesus tells Peter after he tells him that he's going to die a martyr's death on a cross, he says to Peter, follow me. 
That's our first point. How do we suffer well? We follow Jesus. We see this at the end of verse 19 after saying all these things to Peter. These sobering words. Peter's got to be thrilled. I'm reinstated. I'm back. I'm, you know, I, I get to serve Jesus. And Jesus is like, not so fast. You're going to suffer. Just, I want you to know this. You're going to suffer. But how, do we, how does Peter do this? How do we do this? It's remarkably simple. Follow me. And it's, it's interesting because here at the end of John's gospel, these are Jesus' last words to Peter, follow me. But they're also some of the first words that Jesus spoke to his disciples at the very beginning of John. He tells them, follow me. And now here at the end, he says again, follow me. You know, Peter likely lived perhaps another 30 years after these words to him from Jesus. Imagine living with that prophecy from Jesus hanging over your head for 30 years, knowing I'm going to die a martyr's death. I'm not sure when it's going to be, but it's going to come. Imagine living with that for 30 years over your head. But Jesus tells him, follow me. Don't, don't focus on that. Focus on me. Follow me. And that's just what Peter did all the way up to his martyrdom. He followed Jesus. The Bible doesn't record this for us. Early church consensus is that Peter was in fact crucified uh, and that he requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't see himself as being worthy to, to die in the same way as his Lord did. When Jews were being arrested and disappearing in the Netherlands during World War II, Corey Tenboom and her family turned their family watch shop where they lived into a hiding place for Jews. They followed Jesus. What do you do when life is hard? Uh, when, when following Jesus is, is difficult, uh, even to your own safety? What did they do? They followed Jesus. And at great risk to their own lives, to their own safety, they hid Jews in their homes. When they were arrested and sent to a concentration camp, Corey and her sister, at great risk to their own well-being, concealed a Bible on their body. They had a small Bible and they, they hid it and by, by the grace of God it was never discovered. Uh, they followed Jesus. They're being led to a concentration camp. They, they, they brought a Bible with them. By the grace of God it wasn't discovered And they used that Bible to lead a Bible study with women in the concentration camp. And it was never discovered because the place where they had this Bible study was flea infested. None of the guards wanted to go near it. So they they had a, a Bible study in the open, in a concentration camp. What did they do when life got hard, when suffering was so real and near to them? They followed Jesus. Barry and Joanne Johnson bought a home in Florida. They were looking forward to some good years together in retirement. And instead, Barry spent the remaining years of his life in and out of a hospital, more in than out, as his body slowly lost the battle with cancer. But Barry didn't waste this. Barry was a tremendous example to us of how to suffer well. He had legitimate ministry there in the hospital, witnessing to his doctors and his nurses and caregivers. 
When suffering came, there he followed Jesus. Again, notice that Peter learned this lesson when, when we look at what he wrote again in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter's telling us so clearly here, when suffering comes, follow Jesus. Do good. And look what John writes in Revelation about those who suffered persecution in the great tribulation. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, I mean, we, we, we think of what this day might be like sometimes and, and truly it, it, it'll be horrific. But John writes that they, these saints in the tribulation, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. You know this phrase, the blood of the Lamb, is code for the gospel. They, they conquered by the gospel. These believers conquered even though uh, many were martyred by the word of their testimonies, meaning that they, they kept believing, they kept following Jesus. That's how they conquered or will conquer in the tribulation. How do we overcome? We don't give up. We keep following Jesus. We love not our lives even unto death. What about you? I know some of you live with cancer, chronic illness. There's days when I know some of you are just in incredible pain and you're facing another day with that pain. I say to you, Jesus says to you, Peter says to you, keep following Jesus. Follow Jesus with whatever that day brings you. This should give us uh, some really great perspective, especially when we face lesser sufferings, right? You know, uh, you get sick, something that's not terminal. Uh, you're, you get uh, offended by someone at work or someone speaks poorly of you, uh, perhaps because of your faith. Right? Maybe I know some of you are very open about your faith and your, your, uh, your workplaces. Uh, perhaps some people say things from time to time. You know what? Rejoice in that. Follow Jesus in that. And no, it could be a lot worse. You could be a Coptic Christian on the the shores of that sea in 2015 who were beheaded for following Jesus. It could be worse. But regardless of the degree of suffering, follow Jesus. Now, let's look at the second way we can suffer well to the glory of God. I love how even though Jesus restores Peter, uh, Peter is still Peter. In verse 20 and 21, Peter turns and he sees the apostle John and he asks, what about this man? What about this man? Jesus basically says to him, it's none of your business, Peter. You follow me. 
You follow me. This is our second point. Keep following Jesus. So the first point is follow Jesus. The second point is keep following Jesus. You know, it's easy when we suffer to look at other people who don't suffer as much as we do and think, why me? Why me? Why not them? Why is this happening to me? But notice that when this happens uh, for Peter, when, when he turns and, he, and he, he sees John, the apostle John, in verse 20, in order to do this, he had to look away from Jesus. He had to look at, at John. He looks away from Jesus. He looks to John. And Jesus essentially says, over here, Peter, <laughs> focus, over here. Don't look at John, look at me. You follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Keep following me. Don't focus on what I have for others. Focus on me and where I am leading you. Now there's a great comfort here for us. Notice verse, in verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Don't miss this important detail here, church. Jesus is saying that the degree to which John suffers or not is according to his will. Peter told us this earlier when we looked at uh, 1 Peter 4, uh, chapter 4. Those who, who suffer according to God's will. This means that whatever we suffer, whether great or small, it's according to God's will. So when you suffer, take comfort in knowing that it doesn't surprise Jesus or catch him off guard. As if it's like, hey, Jesus, look at, look at me. Look over here. Look at me. Do you see what I'm going through? He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. It didn't surprise him. It didn't catch him off guard. He sees you. In your suffering, Jesus sees you. He knows what you're suffering. And he can relate Isn't it incredible that we worship a God who can relate to our suffering? A God who suffered? There's no other religion in the world that has a God like that, that knows what it's like to be one of us and to suffer. We should find great comfort in knowing that God is in control of our suffering. And this would be terrifying if God were not good but we know that he is. And that he's always working all things together for the good of those who love him, Paul tells us in Romans 8. And if your suffering is God's will, then we know that it's not without purpose. God does not do anything without purpose. So if, it's, if your suffering is according to his will, it's also ha- it also has a purpose. We may not know what it is, that may not be for us to know, but there is a purpose in it. It's not meaningless. Your suffering is not meaningless. It's not random. And somehow we can know that God is working it together in his sovereign tapestry, both for his glory and for our good and for our joy. I mentioned Polycarp earlier, the Bishop of Smyrna, was arrested by the authorities, threatened with death, if he did not renounce his faith in Jesus. And before he was burned alive, this was his response. After being told to renounce Jesus, 
being threatened by being burned alive. Polycarp says, 80 and 6 years I have served him and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? He never did me any wrong. Regardless of anything that he suffered, he never did me anything wrong. So when you suffer, keep your eyes on Jesus. Because you can't follow him effectively when you're looking at others. Know that God is in control of your suffering and that it never surprises him. And know that your suffering is never meaningless. It is always for your good and for the glory of God. It's when you suffer, keep following Jesus. Now the final way we can suffer well is this. We can know that it's worth it. It's worth it. So our three points, follow Jesus, keep following Jesus, know that it's worth it. That's the third one. The first way we can know it's worth it is because it's true. And we know that it's true because Christianity is the only religion based on historical facts given to us by eyewitnesses. And how do we know that we can trust John and the other eyewitnesses? How do we know this? Because they suffered for it. They endured great suffering for the truths that they proclaimed and they never recanted. They suffered greatly for their claim that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again. Many of them were martyred for their faith. One thing we know is that while many throughout history have died for lies that they believed were true, no one dies for something that they know is a lie. And these apostles would have known if it was a lie or not. If they were making this up, they would have known that it was a lie. Nobody dies for a lie. And they had nothing to gain by it. Worldly speaking. And this is what John tells us at the end of his gospel. In verse 24, I am the one who witnessed these things. I wrote them down. My testimony is true. It's interesting. John uses uh, this saying many times throughout his gospel when he says, uh, or when he records that Jesus says, truly, truly. He, He does it uh, in an extremely countercultural way in that day. When Jesus begins a saying by saying, truly, truly, because what would happen is in the synagogues, uh, rabbis or those doing the teaching would, would give a teaching, uh, and then the people would respond after the teaching by saying, truly, truly, uh, which is a way of saying, yeah, it's true, this is true, or uh, we affirm it, or it is so. Okay, it's a way of affirming a teaching that's already happened. And so when Jesus begins his teaching by saying, truly, truly, that was shocking, right? Uh, they, even, they haven't even heard what he was going to say yet, and he's already saying, this is true. And, and in a way, he's, he's taking away our right to determine what's true or not. Uh, he's, saying, he's saying this is true before he even gives us the teaching. And here at the end of John's gospel, we have um, a form of this 
You know, this passage begins with Jesus saying to Peter, truly, truly. Uh, this, is, this is a way of almost saying amen. When we say amen at the end of our prayers, we're saying so be it. Let it be so. And here at the very end of John's gospel, we have a form of an amen when John says that his testimony is true. He's saying that after everything he's borne witness to in writing this gospel, that we who say amen now stake our lives on this truth. Because it doesn't matter what Jesus taught if it's not true. If he's not the son of God, if he didn't die and rise again, if it's not true, Jesus would either be a liar or a madman and we shouldn't listen to a word he says if it's not true. But John is saying, I saw this with my own eyes and I'm willing to suffer for it. It is true and I add my amen. I add my amen. Is this the case for you? That's my question. Can you add your amen just as John adds his amen here at the end of his gospel? Do you believe it? This is the purpose for which John is writing. Do you believe it? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you believe this, then Jesus says to you, you're going to suffer. But follow me. Follow me. There's one final thing that makes following Jesus worth it, and it's this. That while every bit of this is true, this is only a fraction of what Jesus did. This is a similar uh, statement to the one that John made back at the end of chapter 20 when he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are uh, not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But here, in the final verses of John's Gospel, we have this hyperbole of sorts, that there's not enough paper or enough ink in the entire world to contain all that Jesus did. It's a fitting hyperbole. John's ending his Gospel, not not with eyes focused on him as the witness. He's ending his Gospel by turning our gaze to Jesus, the greatness of Jesus. That's what he wants to leave his readers with, the greatness of Jesus. And these words are, are, are likely a hyperbole, but maybe not. Consider this. After all, John doesn't just proclaim Jesus to be the obedient Son of God and the risen Lord, but he's also the eternal word made flesh who dwelt among us, whose glory was seen, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How could there possibly be enough books in this world to contain the eternal Son, the word made flesh, full of grace and truth, If oceans were filled with ink, they'd run dry trying to express the fullness of Jesus' greatness with words. 
So when you suffer, church, because it'll come, follow Jesus. Keep following Jesus and know that it's worth it. It's worth it because every bit of it is true. Every bit of it. And it's greater than you can even imagine. It's worth it. Whatever you have to suffer in this life for following Jesus, it's worth it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for John's gospel. We thank you for just the goodness of this testimony to the revelation of Jesus. We thank you that you sent him to be our savior because you so loved the world. We thank you that Jesus was willing to suffer for us. Father, may we be willing to suffer for following him. God, we thank you for the grace of God in our lives that Jesus has come to us, opened our eyes, drawn us to himself, that we would surrender our lives to him, receiving the forgiveness that he so freely offers, purchased by his broken body and shed blood on the cross. We thank you that he did this for us because he loved us, not because there was anything in ourselves that was uh, worthy. In fact, it was quite the opposite. We thank you that Jesus came and died for his enemies. Father, may this grace astound us in these moments and in our days and in this season of Advent. May your grace astound us that the word would become flesh and dwell among us and that we should see his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.